0: This talk was given at the North Carolina Zen Center. Our program is made possible with the support of our members and friends. If you'd like to make a donation or become a member, please visit us at www.nczencenter.org. We have found that one can aid their own understanding of a Dharma talk or Taisho if you sit in meditation beforehand, and we encourage you in this practice. We'll, we'll take up case 43 of the Hekigan Roku of the Blue Cliff Record this morning. So I'll read the case. A monk asked Dungshan, When cold and heat come, how should one avoid them? Dungshan said, Why not go to a place where there is no cold or heat? This koan, like, every koan is an invitation an invitation towards intimacy um, to move towards rather than away. and also a reminder that Zen is about action and not necessarily about ideas. And, and so practice can take courage, it can take perseverance, it can take you know resolve, but as thinking about this case and Dongshan's teaching, it also, to my mind, uh, practice this kind of practice takes a sort of um, creativity. And by creativity, what I mean is that creativity meaning uh, that we do something different, that we, that we do something different than what we've always done. Yeah. Something different than we habitually do. You know, humans, like all other animals, are sort of ruled by um, habits, by unseen, uh, instinctual forces, um, patterns. And, uh, but, but unlike other animals, human beings have the capacity to free themselves from those habits. That's, I think, the big difference here. Um, and, you know, to free ourselves first always begins with becoming aware of what those patterns are. Oftentimes, they're very um, difficult to see in ourself. And so where these two traits intersect, this, uh, th- this um Um, our instinctual patterns and our our ability to get free from those. Where where these two intersect, this is where Zen um, comes to life. This is where the practice resides. One of the most basic human patterns is um, to avoid. And um, this koan, in a sense, addresses that very directly and what to do about it. it. You know, when I read these cases and the lives of these Zen masters, it really becomes clear that in a sense they are they were artists um, using their creativity to help their students um, past their habitual ways of seeing and encountering the world. They, they had such an ingenuity to them. And, and in that way, I think just thinking about these stories as we encounter them in your own reading or in case like this, Dharma talks, the, 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 you want to encounter them in a way that it's sort of like, um, you want to ask yourself, how is this interrupting the pattern? You know, these are pattern interrupting devices. Um, And, and, you know, sometimes I've said this before, sometimes I think of these cases as kind of like a, um, or the practice in general, kind of like um, an old record that's playing on a turntable. Um, and the process of sitting, zazen, or listening to teisho, is um, it, it kind of like lifting the needle off of the record so that if we can experience the quiet, um, those that, that is unavailable when the needle is in those well-worn grooves, the, those well-worn patterns. And, and that can be helpful. But the, the other thing though to keep in mind is that the, 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 the needle just keeps getting put down on record. Right, so we lift it, we get some kind of quiet, some peace of mind. But then, of course, it just kind of goes back down and starts playing again. And so Zen is, is not just about lifting the needle off the record for a short time, but rather taking that needle and just scratching that shit out of that record. So it does not play. Those, those ultimate, you know... Two familiar tunes. You know, every time we breathe, every time we uh, recite moo, we are interrupting the music. The uh, difficulty, though, as I've said so often, is that even that can become um, part of the habit mind. So coming here, practicing, that itself can be co-opted, be consumed by the mind of habit. And this is why in Zen the tool of inquiry is so important. Yeah. So it's not just about um, Mu. It's what is Mu? What, who is it that breathes? Right? Not just this sort of uh, uh, kind of um, uh, pattern, this rhythmic kind of pattern of Mu or the breath. So, uh, you know, we mentioned how this this koan today is in a lot of ways about the pattern of avoidance, but more fundamentally, the the most basic human pattern is the pattern of me. And so in this case, it's just one more brilliant example of how these masters um, help us get free from that. The master in this case is Dongshan. Tozan is his Japanese name. He was a Tang-era master, and he's one of the founders of the Kaodong or Soto School of Zen um, in China. And probably best well uh, best known for his teaching called the Five Ranks. And the Five Ranks are encountered at the end of our formal training as poems. They really delineate the path of training, the path of realization in this dance between form and emptiness and how that is realized. I was just reading a little bit about Shan this morning, and I came across the story of his death and, um, and thought that I would share that, especially in the light of the, the death of Queen Elizabeth um, that you know just happened and how much pomp and circumstance is happening right now around that. Um, so Shan died when he was uh, just 63 years old which is quite young, even in that time. And it said that at the end of his um, life, he became quite sick. And uh, one of his monks came to see him and asked him, even as you're sick, is there still someone who is not sick? Dongshan said, there is. The monk asked, does the one who doesn't get sick see the master? Dongshan said, I'm able to see him. The monk then asked, what do you see? The master said, at that time, I don't see any sickness. You know, what is it to be sick and yet not see sickness? So when he was close to death at that point, he... um, had the monastery bell rung to bring all the monks in for a kind of a last goodbye. And um, they surrounded him. And as they were watching him, it appeared that he stopped breathing. And at that point, they began to cry and wail and sob. And suddenly Dongshan opens his eyes and says, don't be so attached. Go back to your practice. So then, apparently, goes on, that he instructed the, uh, the monastery director uh, to prepare a feast that would, was going to be held a week later, and he said it would be called a delusion feast. And so for seven days, um, uh, this went on, and at the end of it, uh, he came in for this final meal, and he said to the community, he said, don't make a big fuss about it. I just pass away. Then he returned to his room, sat upright, and died. So when cold and heat come, how should one avoid them? In Japanese, this, is, this kind of question is what's called a um, jimon." Uh, question it's a strange term, but it it translates roughly as a borrowing thing question what it What it really means is that you're using one thing to ask about another okay in this case, this monk is asking about cold and heat, but what is he really asking about? What is he really asking about when he says? When the cold and heat come, how can one avoid them? <clears throat> he could have easily said, How do I avoid sickness, death? How can I avoid the ups and downs, the mind states, pain and pleasure, boredom and excitement? Of course, this dialogue took place way before uh, central air as this nice breeze is coming down from the air conditioner today. Um, Dido Lori, who uh, Roshi, who is a um, contemporary Zen teacher in New York, he commented on this case and he said the, um, the notion of sustained avoidance is a relatively modern development. Technologically, he says, we are quite capable of avoidance, but we have yet to come up with the technology for taking care of greed, anger, and ignorance. Sustained avoidance. Such a nice summary of this modern American life. And so suffering from a Buddhist point of view, in essence, is, is this grasping and avoidance. And so we suffer when we feel different, when we feel apart from, when we feel less than, when we wish we were different, when we wish circumstances were different. And Dungshan answers the monk by saying, why don't you go to the place where there is neither cold nor heat? Dungshan's response can easily be misunderstood and plays into this idea that somehow meditation it will fortify us, you know, it, that it acts as sort of a defensive structure an armor against life. And that somehow will help us transcend the conditions of our life. I, I think of the old Kung Fu show, you know, with David Carradine, some scene from that where he, uh, I don't know, he's getting branded with a hot iron poker, you know. Just going into this kind of trance-like state, this is not Zen practice. Um, Yamada Koan uh, Roshi, commenting on this koan, said, It seems as if Dongshan is offering the monk some hope. Why don't you go to the place where there is neither cold nor heat? Why don't you go to the place where there is no suffering? And then he says, as if there is such a place. I was thinking about hope, and I've commented on it before. Hope is, a, is one of these things that's kind of a dual-edged sword. It can be helpful at times, but um, it isn't a place to hang out in too long. You know, Hope itself can easily just become another way to distance ourselves from life, to avoid life. <clears throat> you know, when we are in, sort of in that territory of hope, in a way, what's happening is we are giving up any agency. Any, any like, we, there's nothing we can do about it. I just hope things will get better. So this koan is really, in some ways, it's really about the Four Noble Truths. Um, this monk's question When heat, cold and heat, calm, how can I avoid them? This is, in essence, the first and second of the noble truths. Life is suffering, and we suffer because we avoid and cling. The monk asked, how can I avoid it? How can I avoid suffering? That's the problem. And so Shan's response, why don't you go to the place where there is no cold or heat, is a distillation of the third noble truth, that there's a way out. Why don't you go to this place where there is no suffering? This is the third noble truth. There's a way out of suffering. The monk asks, where is that place? Dongshan replies, when it's cold, the cold kills you. When it's hot, the heat kills you. This is the fourth noble truth. It's a, really a distillation of the Eightfold Noble Path. You know, the Eightfold Path, uh, right speech, right livelihood, right action, right view, right concentration, etc., etc. This is just a distillation of our life. This, so so Shan's answer, the Eightfold Path, is nothing unusual. It's simply pointing us back to our life. You know, this, this word right can be problematic in some sense because it conjures up kind of ideas of right versus wrong. Like there's a right way to do something and a wrong way to do something. But in thinking about this, instead of right, right view, right livelihood, right action... I thought perhaps we could substitute the word right with um, honest, you know, honest view, having an honest view of our situation, having an honest look at how we're using speech, how we're using our minds, how we're making a living. Honest. Honesty, um, in honesty, we're not hiding from anything. That's the key. And so this is the way we work with suffering in the Zen school, with this kind of radical honesty. And, and this really points us, uh, the way out is to go in, to into. And, and when we talk about honesty, in most cases, the honest truth is if we, if we honestly look at our situation, we don't really know the things that we'd rather avoid because we've been avoiding them. So, so we don't really know that. We don't know them. Uh, most, of the, most of the time, what we know, rather, is our ideas about what we fear, what we want to avoid, rather than the thing itself this is why the basic Zen practice is to say yes to something and, and what this is is about is really adjusting to conditions rather than this insistence that conditions adjust to us it's not about it's not about crushing the ego you know you read these things and Zen literature and some people have these ideas. Um, it's not about, a, a pr- it's not like masochism. It's not killing our preferences. It's not trying to sort of get beyond being human. But it's rather about exploring those mind states, those things that we think we know, that we think and reflexively avoid, um, habitually avoid. So Dong Shan is using this monk's avoidance, this longing to escape. He's using it. So the monk, the monk you know, takes the bait. Where is that place? Come on. <laughs> Come on, where's the place? Where do I go? Where's that place of no cold and no heat? In, in reality, every koan is pointing us to that place. Where is that place? Uh, to, to point to it, um, uh, we can look at a number of other cases. One is with Master Kempo. He was once asked by a monk, um, where is the one road to nirvana? Kempo took his staff, he held it up in the air, drew a line in the air, and he said, here. Dongshan's answer is pretty stark. Um, He says, when it's cold, let the cold kill you. When it's hot, let the heat kill you. When I was a um, skateboarder, (laughs) 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 back when I was a teenager, um, when somebody would do a trick and just kind of like really land it, we would say, oh man, you killed it, right? You got it perfect to be fully cold, to be fully hot. Um, One of my favorite poems is by Wallace Stevens. Um, uh, It may be a bit of a stretch on a hot day like this, but maybe it'll be a relief um, here in early September. But let's see what we can get from it. He says, One must have a mind of winter, to regard the frost in the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow, and have been cold a long time to behold the junipers shagged with ice, the spruces rough in the distant glitter, of the January sun, and not to think of any misery in the sound of the wind, in the sound of a few leaves, which is the sound of the land, full of the same wind that is blowing in the same bare place. For the listener who listens in the snow and nothing himself beholds nothing that is not there and nothing that is. You know, when our minds are not divided there is no cold or heat. In fact, there is nothing at all. Now, cold only exists in the mind that is opposed to heat. Heat is only there because of the notion of cold. <clears throat> Master Hawkwen, talking about this case, said that Dongshan's answer is like a pearl that is the lighting up the night sky, he says he presents it along with a tray and all serving up. Which reminds me of Gensha, Master Gensha, who said the whole universe is one bright pearl. One bright pearl. It's, It's such a beautiful image But we have to remember that this one bright pearl includes war, emotional turmoil, divorce, unemployment, sickness. Nothing is left out. I think some of you are familiar with Doshio Port. He's a, another contemporary teacher, a colleague of mine. He, um, he, was, he wrote a piece a while back about um, the way Dogen, Master Dogen, uses the word koan, which is sometimes different, he said. He says usually the two characters that comprise the word koan, there is the word ko um, in Japanese means public, And on means case, public case, as in a a public court case, something, a precedent that went before, something in a spiritual realm that we can look to. So these koans are like precedents that we can look to for guidance. But he said um, that Dogen at times uses a different character for on. Instead of case, the character on he uses is a different a um, different character. Instead, it means keeping one's lot. Um, you could say um, another translation might be taking responsibility or owning up. And so what are we owning up to? Right? This is the question. One bright pearl. One body. This is important because we often talk about giving up the self in Zen practice. You know, Dogen said, to study Zen means to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be confirmed by the myriad things, actualized by the myriad things, the myriad conditions. You know, mir- uh, actualized, you could say also realized, to be realized by all of the conditions of our life. You know, without fail, I would say that from my experience, without fail, when you stay with this practice long enough, it always leads to the same place. Where does it lead? Where does it lead? Here. Here. Where else could it be? But in order to see that, experience that, we have to give up on our exit strategies. We have to give up totally. So that we actually have a chance at experiencing here. And it's not like we just need to experience here once. Um, That can be nice. Uh, It it reminds me, when I was uh, um, in supervision for therapy, I um, actually, this this has happened more than once, um, presenting a case to my supervisor and him giving me a hard time about one thing or another. Clearly, I hadn't covered something with a client that I should have. And I said, you know, would say, but I, but I did mention it. I did say it. And he would look at me and go, you think saying something once <laughs> does any good? We have to experience here over and over again. In this way, you know, it's this, this koan experiencing the cold completely, experiencing the heat completely, Um, when we're bored or uncomfortable, just totally letting go into that. But we have to be careful because often I talk about near enemies of practice, you know, these qualities that may appear helpful but actually diminish us in one way or another. Um, The classic example of a near enemy in Buddhism is uh, the near enemy of compassion would be pity. the near enemy of acceptance might be resignation. You know? It's not really acceptance. And, and so one of the keys to um, knowing if this is one of these near enemies is is it drawing us closer or is it reinforcing our sense of separateness? This is something you can use in your own life. You know, And so... One of the near enemies of letting go might be kind of giving in a a kind of um, place where uh, that is kind of an unhealthy, kind of a self-sacrificing place. Maybe even a submissiveness. This isn't what Dongshan is pointing to. You know. And, and people often have a lot of questions about letting go. How do I let go? How do I let go of something? Letting go is not something we can actually do. It's not something to be done. Um, think um, like your hair your blood, your breath, you don't have to do anything with any of those. They just take care of themselves, right? Your hair just grows, your blood circulates, your heart does its job, your breath just happens. So when we get caught into ideas of how we should let go, this is the problem, is we're trying. Letting go in Zen is really about not interfering with things. When we get out of the way, letting go just happens. When we don't interfere with things as they are, when we're fully invested, totally invested, meaning giving our full presence to what is, rather than pushing or pulling, then letting go just happens. It's our impatience, usually, that interferes with letting go. So letting go in Zen is not letting go of something, but letting go into something. A monk asks Dongshan, when cold and heat come, how can one avoid them? Dongshan said, why don't you go to the place where there is no cold or heat? The monk said, what kind of place is there where there's no cold or heat? Dongshan said, when it's cold, the cold kills you, and when it's hot, the heat